0: We are in the fifth week of our, our series called the Shema. And so what the Shema is, just as a recap, is it's a prayer or it's a portion of scripture that the Jewish people prayed for thousands of years as a commitment and a devotion To God, Some of the most important commands that Moses told the Israelites to follow because we're in the book of Deuteronomy and Moses was telling the Israelites who'd been rescued from slavery and they needed to go now to this this promised land that God had promised for them and Moses is standing with his back to the Jordan River and on the other side of the Jordan River is Israel and he turns around and he tells his people, Guys, look, here's the most important things you need to know as you go into this land to have a relationship with God. So here it is. Let's read it. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your strength, and so in this series we've been taking each one of these highlighted words and going back to its original Hebrew meaning because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and so oftentimes when you're translating uh, from a text or a different language into the English language or another language, sometimes a little bit of the meaning doesn't fully cross over, and so. For a lot of pastors and people who love to study the Bible, they like to go back to the original language sometimes to get a little bit more meaning and flavor out of those words. That's what we've been doing, and so we're going to cover that word soul today. We've been talking about heart uh, last week, and this week we're going to cover the word soul what does it mean to love God with all your soul, and what in the world even is a soul? You know, as I got ready for this message, like doing, there is way too much study to do on what a soul is. There are so many different ideas about what a soul is and what kind of power it has inside you. I mean, there's all kinds of religions out there in the world and, you know, kinds of uh, secular ideas about this energy inside of you and all of that type of stuff, and Uh, I want to make sure if I love God uh, with all my heart and all my soul, my mind and all that, I want to make sure that when I believe something, that I'm following what God's word says about it. If I'm going to get knowledge about something, uh, I'm not going to listen to the the latest guru out there or I'm not going to listen to what the TV says or, you know, Uh, the guy on TV selling these crystals that have energy in them, you know, that's good for your soul. I want to go to the Bible and see what does the Bible say about the soul? How do we love God with our soul? I believe it's first understanding what the soul is. So let's get into that. What is the soul? What is the meaning of soul in the Bible specifically? We'll talk about Hebrew and the Greek word, by the way. But what is the soul? Well, last week we talked about the heart being the inner person, right? The seat of our mind, our will, and our emotions. The soul then is our whole being, including our heart, including all of that. Oftentimes people think the soul uh, because in the English language, Uh, it's lost some of its meaning and gained meaning because of Greek philosophy. Greek philosophy would tell you that the soul is some kind of internal essence of your being that uh, is eternal and it goes on to live out. It's a different, it's a power inside your body that is separate from your body, okay? And that when you die, your soul goes to live on and your body dies. Um, and, And... some of that is it's just a little bit murky, this whole word about the idea of the soul. You know, I think naturally when we think about it, we think that, right? Because that's what we've grown up with, with movies and um, people's ideas about the soul. But really, soul in Hebrew is the word nefesh. And what the nephesh is, uh, which is the the Old Testament rendering of the Word, the Jewish people would have not understood the soul being separate from the body. That would have been a completely foreign idea for them because the Bible uh, does give us some clues into the, the soul is the whole person. It's everything. It's your personality. It's who you are. And your body, I just want you to know that your body makes up your personality. I was just joking with my friend earlier, James. I don't see him in here today, but we always make short jokes about me because it's part of my personality. And he's a tall guy, and that's part of his personality. And so uh, your body is very much a part of who you are, although it's imperfect, One day we're going to have a a glorified new version, but of the same body, The, the Bible tells us that it's not just your soul that goes on to live after, but your body as well. Jesus talks about this in the New Testament. He says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell, and so, while you see a little bit of a separation in here, it happens in scripture because soul is translated uh, in a lot of different words. In the Greek, the word soul is actually psyche. That's the word, okay? So it is part of your consciousness. And so what kind of what Jesus is saying here is that your life, your soul, your consciousness will go to the afterlife, but so will your body. Some people miss that about this verse. It's saying that, your body and soul can bo- both be thrown into hell if you don't trust in Jesus, right? Or the Bible also talks about a glorified body one day of the, when Jesus comes back and resurrects our bodies, okay? So this idea of the soul is not as easy to understand as you might think. And so in the New Testament, we see this idea, right? But let's go to the Old Testament. I want to show you where it first comes up in the Bible, about our soul. It's in Genesis 2-7. When God created man on the sixth day, here's what he says. He says, the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living nephesh, or a living soul, or a living Creature, because that is the word in Hebrew, nefesh for soul. As we're talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 6, loving the Lord God with all your soul is basically talking about with all of who you are, your body and everything that comes in it, your personality, your mind, your heart, your consciousness, your living beingness is what that word means. And so, over and over again, the Bible uses nefesh or soul. For it talks about sometimes, like even in an animal, right? There's this huge question, like, do animals have souls, okay? I don't know if animals are going to heaven, by the way. I know <laughs> there will be animals that will be in heaven, but I don't know if your animals is going to heaven, okay? I don't know the answer to that question. But it it talks about some kind, like, uh, for an animal, like uh, when it's talking about, like, dead animals or bodies or something, it uses this same word, nefesh, you know, the... The nefesh of an animal lay there, you know? So so again, this word is very complicated, but it has been so exciting actually studying this. I've been dying to come share this stuff with you. I don't know if you're geeking out as much as I am over this word, but um, really the essence of your soul, I want us to get that firm understanding. It's being a living creature. You are a soul. You don't have a soul, okay? Oftentimes we think we are a soul that has a body, but no, we are a, or we think we're a body that has a soul by the way, but we are actually a soul and part of our soul is our body. We are a soul that has a body. We are a soul that has a personality. We are a soul and at the very beginning God created us with a soul. Now there's so much into this, right? Then that gets rid of all the new age and the eastern ideas of what soul is. Some people believe that we had eternal souls that now have been reincarnated into human beings and eventually when we'll die, our soul will go on and to either live with the stars or we'll be reincarnated again. And that's just not true. God is saying that at the moment we were created, we didn't exist beforehand, but he, when he created us, he breathed into us and he made us a living soul, a living nefesh, okay? So with that, uh, in mind, um, then how do we understand this a little bit more in the Bible? Then, when we talk about ourselves, when David talks about himself in the Psalms, or when the psalmist writes a psalm and he's talking about himself, he actually calls himself a nefesh or a soul. You can call yourself a soul. Let me show you something real quick. Let me live so I can praise you, and may your regulations help me. So, That's the English translation of that verse in the Old Testament. But if we were to look at it in the Hebrew, it says this. Let my nefesh live so it can praise you. So he's basically saying, sometimes when we use the words me and I in the Old Testament, it's talking about your being in your soul. Let my being, let my soul live so that it can praise you. So we're talking about life. If you are a living person, you are a soul. So now that we understand this idea of the soul, how does it fit into the Shema, right? Loving the Lord God with all of our soul, all of our being. Well, there is so, like I said, there's so many scary ideas about there about what the soul is and can do, but if we want to have a healthy soul, if we want to be taken care of by the one who created our soul. I want you to imagine being a tree, okay? And you plant this tree next to this amazing river, right? And next to this river, because it's next to this life-giving source of minerals, which is the water of this river, everything around it is green and lush and full and healthy. And we plant ourselves as that tree. And as we live life next to this river... That tree's roots just dig down deep and deeper and deeper and grows up healthier and healthier and healthier because it's right next to the life-giving source of what it needs, of its being. That is how we are supposed to be in a relationship with God. We are supposed to be so connected to God with our soul, with our life, that we have no choice but to grow in a healthy manner like that tree And so here at Alpine Church, we talk about um, how to grow in a relationship, in a pursuit with your life, with your soul, with God. And so I'm sure some of you have seen it before. And I'm going to take the next three points to talk about how to have a healthy relationship, how to love God with all of your soul, how to grow in that environment and so we talk about it like this we call it pursuing God how do I pursue God and be in that healthy soul relationship with my soul creator well you have to start by trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and then we go on to live a life that honors him and pleases him and we find out what he wants of us and we do that and then we go on to mature by helping other people so let's break this down a little bit first, we love the Lord with all of our soul by putting our trust in him. Now, if we go back to what's going on in the Old Testament at the time, Moses standing at the river, he's saying, you guys are going to go into the promised land, but There's going to be a lot of things that are going to happen when you go in there. There There's still some giants you need to get rid of. There's still some territories that need to be taken over. You're going to be scared. Your heart is going to drag you away sometimes. And you are going to have to trust God with your soul. Sometimes it's going to be scary. So if we go again to that, that verse, it says, you must love the Lord God with all of your soul. What is he saying here? Well, He's saying that there's gonna be things that you're gonna have to do to make your soul right with God too. As a living being, you are broken and your soul is corrupt. As we talked about, the heart is corrupt. There are some things that you're gonna need to do to continue in a right soul relationship with God. And so in the Old Testament, they had these Uh, They had the temple, and they had these animal sacrifices that made people right with God, okay? There had to be a spotless lamb, a perfect lamb that needed to be slaughtered for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. And so there was this religious, repetitive ritual that had to happen and take place over and over and over again. And this was a reminder of how bad sin is. This was a reminder, look, guys, your guy's soul is broken And the only way to be cleansed is to be forgiven. And that death of that lamb is what forgives you. And fast forward, all of that was pointing to this new covenant relationship that now all Christians have with Jesus, is that he was the perfect spotless lamb who died on the cross in our place to take away our sins. And so... To get deep, deeper into this, I want to use an Old Testament verse in Ezekiel. Ezekiel says this this is God talking, and he says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine, and the soul, or the nephesh, who sins shall die. The soul who sins shall die. There is this constant reminder that there is death because of sin in the Old Testament. And a new reminder that Jesus had to die to take care of our sins. But what is this saying? This is saying that whoever sins, whoever goes against God, whoever chooses their own way, their own opinions, their own ideas over God's truth will die physically and spiritually. And so there needs to be a saving from that. There needed to be a sacrifice from that. And that was Jesus when he died on the cross. And so we love him by putting our trust in his way. And Jesus calls himself, I am the way. And so we trust in his way and our souls can be made right with God and we can have communion and perfect relationship with God. But our souls, as I said earlier, God created them at a moment in time, but they are eternal. So when we die, they are going somewhere. Whether we trust in Jesus or not, they are going somewhere, but... What, where we go determines on if we trusted in Jesus or not. We will either be eternally separated from God in eternity as a soul and a body or we'll be with God in eternity as a soul and a body. So what does it mean to trust Jesus? Well, have you ever heard of like uh, that falling exercise? You know, you got a person stand behind you, you put your arms like this, you shut your eyes and you're like, you thought I was going to do it, didn't you? There wasn't anybody behind me. But, you know, you trust that person behind you that they're going to catch you. That's like complete trust. You're surrendering. You're giving over, right? That It's the same thing when we trust Jesus. We're trusting that Jesus is going to catch us when we fall. He's going to save us. Or if you think about uh, somebody gives you a parachute and tells you to jump out of an airplane, right? You don't know exactly if that parachute's going to work. You don't know what's going to happen when you pull that cord, but you do know that you do need to do something, right? So you need that parachute before you jump out. And you're trusting that when you jump and before you hit the ground, that parachute opens up And delivers you down into safety. That's the same thing when you trust Jesus. You don't know exactly how everything's going and working on in the inner parts of spirituality. Or the inner parts of the parachute backpack. But you're trusting that he's going to deliver you. You're trusting that he is going to save you from those sins that the Bible says that you and I both have. Okay, So that's how you start a relationship with God. And you have a right soul relationship with God. But it doesn't stop there. Then we go on as Christians now, and we demonstrate our love for the Lord by honoring Him in everything that we do. Our whole life, our whole soul should be living to honor God in everything that we do now. That should be our next thing that we strive for as Christians. Now, we can't do this by ourselves. We need God's help. But if we go on in the Shema, I'm excited to read some of the verses past the Shema because we've been reading those verses for the last five weeks. If we go down to the next verse, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I gave you today. What are the commands I gave you today that Moses is talking about? He's saying, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Commit yourself to these commands. Commit yourselves to the word of the Lord. Lord. And Jesus says the same thing in the New Testament. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if our commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, how do we love God? We find out what's in his word and we go and do it. We find out what pleases God and we go do it. If you're in a relationship with someone and you know that there are certain things you can do that make them feel loved, like a love language, we've talked about this before. If you have a love language, uh, you know, if you feel, uh, you feel most loved by your, your family or a friend or a spouse by physical touch or words of affirmation, um, if you know that they have a love language as well, The most loving thing you can do is to love them in the way that they want to be loved, not in the way that you think they should be loved, but to love them in the way they want to be loved. And God says, "I want to be loved if by keeping my commandments, by following my word, by living a life that honors me." And so, this is tough. Because we're not perfect, we're fallen still, we're broken, we make mistakes. And so how do we get better at honoring God? And so this is how I like to look at it. I've got this little diagram that I've made. I call it the Christian trifecta here, okay? How do we live a life to honor God? How do we find out how to please Him? This is how we find out how to please Him. First, we have to have God's Spirit. And when a person trusts in Jesus, they're given uh, God's spirit. As we talked about last week, he'll give us a new spirit. He'll come into us and change us from the inside out. God's Holy Spirit comes to dwell in every believer who trusts in Jesus. So in order to be able to follow God and love him and by keeping his commandments, we have to first have his power in us. We can't follow God without Him in the first place. He doesn't expect us to follow a bunch of rules and uh, regulations and be religious without actually having His power to be able to do it in the first place. And so the Spirit writes God's law in our hearts. God's Word, which is the Bible, tells us how to love God. It has His commands in there. We find out uh, how God wants us to live, and then we also need God's people. So we need God's Spirit to change our soul, We need God's word as food for our soul. And we need God's people, God's church, to help us in our soul relationship. They are uh, God's church. You guys here today, you have this soul connection together with God. God didn't create us all to be lone rangers with God. But the way our soul works is that we're a part of a body. We are a part of a larger body. Each one of us individually, as souls, are a part of a larger body which makes up the church, and we don't even operate properly when we're not a part of that. And so that's the Christian trifecta of how to please God and honor Him with your life. Um, There's this favorite, you know, confession of Christians, you know, over the centuries would write down these confessions or these. Statements of belief, like uh, here's what is important in the faith, you know, and they'd write them down. And there's this one called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And the question they, they, they take questions and answers, right? Like they, they answer each question and it helps them understand their faith, right? And one, qu- the first question is this What's the chief end of man? What is the purpose of man? Why does man exist? Why does man live? Why do humans exist. What are they made for? And it says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Have you ever thought about life like that? I I I think we've all struggled to think about life. My chief existence is to glorify God. If we started really believing that, I think our lives would change, but a lot of us, me included, have been so self-focused and self-centered that we actually think that our life's purpose and the chief end of man is to make myself successful, to make a name for myself, to make myself comfortable, to give myself pleasure and enjoyment and entertainment, right? And that is, the when you look out at all of us who, who make that the purpose and the focus of our lives, I will, I've been there and I know that it's a sad existence of constantly trying to make myself God and put myself in God's place. And so God is saying, if you want to be a healthy soul, you will find out what it was created for. And when you find that out and you live in that by glorifying and honoring me, then you will find purpose in your life. Then you will be able to live a different life that you might want to live and here's how um 1 Corinthians 10:31 puts it so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do it all to the glory of God and so this should permeate every part of our lives then if we think that our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yes, we can enjoy him and we can enjoy life and we can enjoy creation. Christianity isn't all about, you know, uh, shutting ourselves down, not ever having any fun, you know, putting on the, the monk suit and never doing anything for the rest of your life instead of just meditating over and over again. That is not Christianity. That is not the type of soul worship that God wants from us. God wants us that in everything we do, our decision-making process should say, does this glorify God? When I eat this food, does it glorify God? Do I find enjoyment of it? Does it make me feel guilty? When I drink this drink, does it glorify God? Does it hurt other people? Does it allow me to have enjoyment? Does it have control over me? When I watch this show, when I spend my time over here, when I... Do X, Y, or Z. Every decision we make should help us to grasp this idea of soul worship, you know, loving God with all of our soul. How I spend my money, what I do with my time, what things I watch, you know, where do I go for relaxation? Our life and our desires should not be separate from our faith. Our faith should compel and control our desires, for the things that we want to do, ultimately to glorify God and honor him in everything we do. Now, here is the problem with everything I just said, though. While it is true, some people think that Christianity stops there, that they think that I'm supposed to just gain as much knowledge as I possibly can and to try to be as holy and religious as I possibly can, and that is the goal for the rest of my life, is to continue to work on myself forever or until the end of my life and that's where a lot of churches even get it wrong that's where a lot of christians get it wrong Uh, and some people get stuck in there, And, and if you're anything like me, I tried, you know, I try to be holy, and I try to battle sin, and my addictions, and all that stuff, and sometimes I fail, and it's like I'm going up this hill, and I'm sliding back all the time. I know you guys feel that way, right? I know you guys feel that way. The same way I feel is you try really hard, and you're going along, and you're in perfect communion with God, and then something happens, mistakes happen, you fall down, Well, one thing that I know that's helped me and what I know the Bible commands for me to do after that to get better, to grow more and more, is this last point. We complete our love and devotion to God when we intentionally help others pursue Him. We can completely love God with our whole soul when we give our soul over to Him and allow Him to use it the way He sees fit. Let's go on in the... The, the latter part of the Shema that we haven't looked at yet it says this, repeat them, these commands, as we just read in, in verse six, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you are on the road, or when you are going to bed, when you're getting up, tie them on your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, because of this close love and worship, relationship that a person has with God, eventually it should overflow out of you into everyone around you. You should be so filled up like that that tree next to the stream growing and bearing so much fruit that you can do nothing but tell other people about Jesus and tell other people about how loving our God is. And first and foremost, if you have kids, those are the first kids that you're supposed to help pursue God. Those are the first people in your life that you are to to repeat God's commands and his words to him. And then it says, talk about them everywhere. Talk about them at home, when you're on your way to work, when you're on the bus, when you're, uh, on, when you're going to bed. Talk about them with your spouse, with your kids. When you're getting up in the morning, talk about God's word everywhere you go. It should just be coming out of you because God is flowing in you. Like a, like a conduit, right? Like... Like you got power coming in you and it has to move through you to get to where it needs to go. And God is saying that power that is flowing through us now needs to go out to the rest of the world. Jesus said that, go make disciples of all nations and teach them all the things that I've commanded you. Again, it's reiterated over and over again. And Jesus repeats this one. Here in the New Testament, and he says, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now let me let me paint a little picture for you. If you imagine yourself, you're you're with a friend, right? You guys just won the lottery or something, and, and you've got a helicopter and you got a little headset and your friend's got the nicest, newest car, right? And, and you're flying up above the helicopter, and you're telling him where he needs to go, and you're like, man, this is awesome, and he's going down this path, going about 110 miles an hour, and he's just flying, and you're up there in that helicopter, but you see at the end of this road, there's, he can either turn around, he's gonna have to slow down and turn around, or if he keeps going off that road, it's a cliff, and he goes off that cliff, and he's gonna die, and it's gonna be ugly, What is the most loving thing that you can do as the buddy up there, as you can see everything? You can see all that's going to happen and what's going to go on. The most loving thing you could do is say, hey, you got to turn around. You got to go the other way. If you keep going that way, you're going to die, you're going to perish. It's not going to be good for you if you keep going that way. Well, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, the most loving thing you can do is to tell other people that if you keep living this way without God, you're going to die and it's going to be ugly and you're going to be separated from him forever. And so one of the things that should compel us more and more to love people, to love God, and to love people, and to go make disciples the most loving thing we can do. We think it hurts people's feelings when we talk about Jesus and we tell other people about him. But they don't know that that's love. They don't know that I'm truly loving them when I'm telling them the truth. Here's what's going to be good for your soul, for your nefesh, if you'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the most loving thing we can do. And so, some of us struggle with our priorities in our life, and we wonder, I mean, huh, what, am I, what am I living for? What am I supposed to do then? And Jesus, he said, he said this, uh, as I, I share my last verse, my, my second to last verse about soul, I don't have it up here, but he says, what, is it, what good is it if we gain the whole world but forfeit our soul? What good is it if all of our priorities are focused on not glorifying God and not telling other people about him, but they're all focused on me, myself, and I? What good is it if we gain all that, but we lose our soul in the process? And so if you're here today and you want to knit your soul with God's soul, if you want your soul to be saved from that separation from God in hell, as Jesus said, Fear the one who can throw your soul and body in hell. If that's you here today and you want to fear God in a healthy way and trust in Jesus for the first time, I would love to do that with you and be with you and pray with you in that time. And if you're here today struggling, um, wondering, why am I not growing up in a healthy manner? Why do I continue to struggle? Maybe you need to be planted by the stream. Of Life, which is God, I want to pray for you guys as I close. I am also excited about uh, this song we 're going to sing before before we 're going to sing one last song, but uh, I want to see you guys praise the Lord with your whole soul as we sing this, but will you guys pray with me, Father, we come to you, Lord, we come to you just so thankful and grateful for your life-giving presence. God, we pray that you would be that in our lives yes Lord we wander from you and we try to plant ourselves so far away from you sometimes thinking that there's all kinds of other things out there in the world other other false truths or lies out there that say this will make you feel better this will make you stronger this will make you have success Lord and all along the way we keep forgetting God you're the one who created our soul and so we need to be so close to you that your power and your presence just comes out of us and works through us and it works in us, God, and we need that. God, forgive us today for wandering away from you, not trusting you, not believing you. God, if there are any, any people here today, I pray that they would pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I trust that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. Now I need you to come into my life, renew my soul, give me your spirit so that I can follow you and honor you in everything that I do. I need your help, Lord. I trust you, Jesus, in your name.